but remain standing for a word of prayer. In your sovereign reign, Lord, we bless you for your generosity to us that you so lavishly provide for us in a world of much need and hunger and despair. We're glad to demonstrate our love and response to you in our praise and in the giving of these gifts. We thank you for the money that's been given by other means during the week. We thank you for the way you provide for your work here. Lord, use what we have and what we give that others may come to know the wonder of your salvation. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, you all recognise this place as Long Crendon Baptist Church. Or is it? Ever since we've had the new building, the elders have been trying to remind us that the church is not the place, but it's where the church meets. To see the church, we need the next picture. We need to see the congregation. We are the people of God who meet here. Some of us are away today, but when we hear in the Bible about the word church, we shouldn't think of buildings, but people. The church is not a building thing, it's a people thing. Now this morning we're going to look at a psalm. And in the psalms, particularly, we have this uh, danger of identifying what the psalm says about the house of God and the temple as the building in which we meet and worship. But we need to, from the beginning, remind ourselves that where the Old Testament talks about the place where people worshipped, we see that now as a picture of the people, not the building. And that's not at first easy for us to think about. So we're going to trace that through this uh, Psalm 84 today. Because you've also met sometimes in, uh, in uh, church halls, as we did as a, a church for over a year when we were putting the extension up. And uh, you've met sometimes with uh, Christians in community halls. And uh, as our friends at Clearbury Mortimer today are meeting in a, a youth centre, a pioneer centre, uh, they will be seeking God together as we do now, and they'll be experiencing the reality of Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the people meeting and not the place in which they meet. So I want to look with you at Psalm 84 and to see four features, not of a building, but of God's people. The God's people, first of all, want to be with God. That's in the first four verses of the psalm. Then the God's people are traveling to meet God. You'll find that in verses 5 to 7. Then you'll see that God's people are eager to talk to God in verses 8 to 9. And then in the last three verses, 10 to 12, that God's people are confident to trust in God. It's all about God's people and their relationship with God. So the first thing 
is that God's people want to be with God. Look at the beginning, how he starts. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now, Old Testament worship was based on a building. First of all, the tabernacle and then the temple. And they had a very elaborate form of ritual in which they made sacrifices morning and evening and throughout the year they had different festivals that they met with there were priests there that were offering their sacrifices there was a great deal of ceremony involved and it would be easy then for the people to just get taken up with the outward things and it becomes a habit after years and years and years but here the psalmist seems to be getting beneath that and seeing that it's all really about his relationship with God himself. The genuine worshipper is looking for your dwelling place, the courts of the Lord, your altar and your house. The Psalms, of course, are poetry, so he gets a bit of poetic license in here by talking about the birds, the, the sparrow and the swallow. What's all that about? Well, he's saying, you know, even if they were the God's creatures, the birds, they want to be near God. They want to be uh, near the altar of the Lord. Just as we, he says, want to be near to God. Verse 4, he says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. The priests actually lived on the job and whilst they were serving they were there all the time and so the psalmist is saying oh I envy those people who are here all the time. The picture is clear isn't it? He wants to be with those who are praising God. He has a deep longing not for the ceremonial but for the Lord. Verse 2 my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's not a dead thing, all this ritual. It's a, may, a way of his coming into living fellowship with the living God. And that's what he wants. Now, it seems as though this psalm is probably written at a time when the psalmist couldn't get to the festivals. They were there in Jerusalem, and the temple was one for the whole of the country, and uh, for some reason he isn't able to get there. So he's saying, I really want to be there. I really want to have this opportunity of meeting with God. Human love attracts us to the person we love. And here he is in verse 1 saying, How lovely is your dwelling place, because it's the God whom he loves who is there. So how do we take that and apply that to ourselves today? Well, we say that the Christian loves Christ. He loves Jesus as the way to God. All these altars and sacrifices are really pictures to us of Jesus. We haven't got time to open up the letter to the Hebrews and see how the New Testament makes all this picture language say it's all about Jesus. It's about his offering one sacrifice for sins forever. And we love Jesus because he's the one who took our sins and who brought us to God in this way. We love him because he first loved us. We're grateful and we want to meet with him. Verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. It's not saying I want to be in a building. 
It's because he wants to be with his God. Now, it's tragically possible for even those of us who come here regularly to get so used to the way in which we do things and the order in which things are done that we go through it almost in a habitual way. The psalmist is reminding us that if we want to enter in to what this psalm is about, we should be here to meet with God himself because we enjoy him and our hearts yearn for him. We don't have a good scene just to loosen up our bodies, as some song leaders have sometimes told me. We don't come here primarily to meet with, God, with people, though you're lovely people and I'm glad to chat to you. Our primary reason is to meet with God himself. So what's the next thing we find here in the next verses? God's people are travelling to meet with God. Verses 5 to 7. The Old Testament people travelled to these festivals. They lived all over the country and on certain set times of the year they went together, all the representatives of the tribes, to appear before God. Verse 7 puts it clearly. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Zion is the name for Jerusalem. That's where they were going. That's where the temple was. We are traveling there to meet with God. Yes, there would have been some people who went because it was a holiday. Other people uh, would have gone there because their family took them. But here's the psalmist saying, I really want to set my heart on pilgrimage. The journey is made worthwhile because of the destination. Uh, some of you may know that uh, last weekend my wife and I were away. We had to get a lot of stuff ready, a lot more stuff than we usually do. Uh, we had to spend more money than we usually spend. We had to travel over a hundred miles and uh, we had all this paraphernalia to go through but we did it very happily because it was my grandson's wedding. And the fact that it was for a wedding meant that we were very happy to do it. And whatever it cost and whatever the inconveniences and whatever those things are, you say, we're very glad to do that because it's the destination that makes the journey worthwhile. It's poetry again in verse 6 where he talks about this valley of Baca. What does that mean? Well, the word Baca means weeping and it's a reference to a historical event in their history even the place of weeping can be made a place of spring and pools of refreshing water because what God is able to give and what he's able to mean is something that makes it all worthwhile now we don't have any difficulty in applying that to ourselves today do we the New Testament Christians see their lives as a pilgrimage when the Apostle Paul was questioned about his religion, he said, I am a follower of the way. The way. Jesus said, I am the way. I hesitated to bring with me my copy of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress because it's rather old and tatty, the one that I have on my shelf. But some of you will know about this man, Bunyan, who was a, a, a Christian preacher uh, many hundreds of years ago and he wrote this extended allegory 
about a man traveling from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And he's all the time tracing the fact that the Christian life is this journey and many other lessons that he learns on the journey and how helpful a book it is. By the way, if you've never read it, there is now a modern translation like an NIV of Pilgrim's Progress which you can read so you don't have to fall over all the these and thous and old-fashioned language of it. What's it telling us? It's telling us that we as New Testament Christians are on a journey and that transforms our attitude to what we face on the journey. There's a very important scripture for us, isn't there, in the letter to the Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the problems he had. Therefore, he says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Do you feel like wasting away sometimes? Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Then he talks about our life, our body just being like a tent. The reality is that we're on this journey to meet with God. But it's better than that. Look at what he says in verse 5, because he says here, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. We need strength for the journey. And he's the one who gives it to us. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. In all the experiences we have, we look to God to strengthen us on the journey that we're in. There's a lovely phrase in the book of Deuteronomy about one of the psalm, about one of the tribes, the tribe of Asher, where God says to them, your strength will equal your days. Whatever your days are going to be, their strength is equal to it. So when we meet with God on Sunday, it's not to escape from the rest of the week. It's to prepare ourselves for the rest of the week. It's to look up to God and say, haven't you been good to us in the past? Haven't we reminded ourselves of all what God has meant to us so that we can then go into Monday, even if it is a bank holiday, and enter the rest of the working week and we can say we do so now, not in our own strength, but in the strength that God gives. We send out Jeff and Hannah to do this work, not in their own strength, but to do so in the strength that God will give to them. God's people are travelling to meet God. Let's move on to verses 8 and 9. God's people are eager to talk to God. The psalmist really wants to pray. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me. O God of Jacob, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. This isn't the prayer of duty and habit. I've got to say my prayers. It's the desire of one who wants to pray. Don't overlook the reference here to Jacob. Why is he called the God of Jacob here? Well, you remember, Jacob wasn't exactly a nice man. He had some big problems. And yet God heard him when he prayed. 
Jacob was the one who saw that staircase going up to heaven, didn't he? And the angels coming up and down and God took his, his, received his messages and sent his help. Jacob, this is the God of Jacob. He's the one who will hear our prayers. <clears throat> and even if we don't deserve it any more than Jacob did, if God will listen to Jacob, then surely he will listen to me. And that's one of the values we have in coming together like this, isn't it? We can talk with each other about what God has meant to us and what he's done for us. So that as we take courage from other people's example, we can say, if God helped them in that situation, then he's the God I can pray to. And I can bring my needs to as well. There is a little reference here that is important for us. At the end of verse 9, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Now you may not remember that the word anointed in English is the word in the New Testament, Christ. Christ, the christened one, the one who was anointed. And he was anointed not just to be the king, not just to be a prophet, but to be our priest. So that we don't need these earthly priests. We have Jesus and we can go to God through him. I had a very unusual privilege at the wedding reception last Saturday evening. I was uh, moving around amongst the guests and a young lady came up and spoke to me and didn't know who she was. And she said, I'm French. And she said, I'm a... I'm from a Catholic background. Can you tell me the difference between uh, Catholics and the Church of England? Well, I said, how long have we got? We started with Henry VIII, but we ended up finishing about the finished work of Christ. That what Jesus did on the cross is enough. We don't need the priests. We don't need a repetition of Calvary because what Jesus has done is enough. He's the anointed one. And so here is this Old Testament psalm is saying, look with favour on your anointed one. When we come to pray, we don't say, I'm an important Christian, you've got to listen to me. We say, I don't come in my name, I come in the name of Jesus. And he will hear us. And the God who rules the universe will hear my prayers. Because I come in the name of the anointed one. Christ is our anointed high priest. There's something else here before we leave the matter of prayer. They went to the temple to pray. It was a special place, a unique place. But now we can pray anywhere. Do you remember that conversation Jesus had? There's reference to it in John's Gospel, with the Samaritan woman. And she was talking about where people can pray. And Jesus says this to her. He says, A time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus was saying to this woman, it's not a matter of where you pray, but how you pray. Do you pray with the spirit and motivation of someone grateful to a generous God? Do you pray in the truth 
of the fact that Jesus is the way to God. Thank God for prayer meetings. They're a great blessing to us. But thank God that where you are, whatever the crisis, where you are on the journey and you come across some new hurdle, we can pray. Because this is what it means. We look now not on ourselves, but on the anointed one. And he's the one who has purchased us with his own life and gives us access to God in prayer. Then fourthly, let's look at the remaining verses 10 to 12 where we see God's people are confident to trust in him. Being in God's family is a high privilege. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. For a number of years, my father was the steward at the door of our church. And now we have a rota and people do it and we're very glad that they can welcome you on the way in and they can help to look after us while we're here. But this verse today doesn't have anything to do with shaking hands with people at the door. What he's saying is, I'd rather have a mundane, ordinary, overlooked job than not to be in God's family at all. Yes, there are things to be done for the church, which means standing at the front, as Jeff has done for many years, and I'm doing this morning. There are lots of other things to be done, aren't there? And he's saying, I'd rather do a job that people overlook and don't even notice. I'd rather do that than not to be in God's house at all than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why is it he can say it is such a, a privilege? Well, it's because God means everything to those who trust in him. Verse 11 is almost the high point of the psalm, isn't it? The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing to see withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. It's all about God and all about the fact that he's everything to those who trust in him. No wonder that man is blessed who trusts in him. Years and years ago, when I was a pastor in London, that is a long time ago now, I was asked to go to visit a friend in hospital. She was the uh, former missionary in India, and for some reason her own pastor couldn't visit her, and so I went along, and she had cancer. And she was in a ward with a lot of other ladies who had cancer. And as I went to speak to her, she immediately wanted to tell me about her Bible reading this morning. My Bible reading this morning, she said, was Psalm 84 and verse 11. Now, she was quoting, not from the NIV, but from the King James Bible. And in the King James Bible, this verse says, The Lord will give grace and glory. It's slightly different here. It says favour and honour. In her version, it said grace and glory. And she said, isn't it wonderful? She said, he doesn't just give me grace to cope with this. And my, it was coping. He gives me glory. And the fact that I can look forward to being with him. Bless her. It wasn't long afterwards when she did leave her loving husband and went to her ever-loving saviour. The Lord was to her 
giving her grace and glory. You see, this is the pilgrimage we're doing. This is the way we're traveling. This is what it means that we can trust in God. The Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk. Wait a minute. There's something a bit more difficult here, isn't there? Whose walk is blameless. There's a bit of a moral challenge going on here. Those whose walk is blameless. Yes, all Christian privilege contains responsibility. To know and serve this kind of God means we've got to walk in his ways. It means we've got to follow his example. See, the Bible doesn't give any comfort at all to those people who want to be God's people when it's all about the blessings, but don't want to be God's people when it means responsibilities. We are sinners by nature. And the danger is that we indulge our pride, that we tread on the necks of other people as we try to climb up, that we inwardly do things we know we're ashamed of. If we love Jesus, if we love this God, if we want to meet him at the end, then we want him to be pleased with what he sees in our lifestyle and our track record. We've got to begin here and now, haven't we? To please this God and to think already of the moral choices that will face us during this week. Let me conclude. The title which was given to this uh, message from Psalm 84 was Homesick for Heaven. It's not original to me. I saw it some while ago in somebody else's sermon on this text. And I thought... It's too good not to use, isn't it? But I've admitted I didn't think it up myself. What's it saying? It's saying, here's the psalmist. He's homesick for the temple. He wants to go and meet with God. But for us, it means going to meet God face to face. Heaven is the place which is really our home. That's where we belong. And that's where we're traveling. And here and now we can talk with this God who rules us. This is the genuine confidence of the genuine Christian. Now if you're someone here this morning that doesn't have that confidence, there is an answer for you, isn't there? There's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one you need. He's the one we've been singing about. He's the one that this psalm is all about. He's the one who can save you. And if you trust him to answer for you, then you'll be in that place where there is no crying at all. And if you do know this, if Jesus is your confidence, then let's revel in it. Let's not be ashamed of it. Let's live this week as those people who have been meeting with God this morning and want other people to know and see that we're meeting with this kind of God. Whatever happens to you, Here are three verses which you can remember easily from this psalm. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Verse 12. Blessed is the one 
who trusts in you. If that makes you a little bit more homesick for the home we're going to, then the psalm has done us good this morning. Amen. If you would like someone to pray with you after the service, please come into this corner on my right. We shall pray now. Lord, may your blessing be on those who dwell in your house. May your blessing be on all those whose strength is in you. May your blessing be on all whose trust is in you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.